collectively, but probably if we're honest today, uh, individually uh, as well. Thank you, Brother Jonathan. And uh, today, I'd like for us to take our Bibles and find 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And um, I'm preaching on the subject this morning, Basin Theology. Now, I had a another title for the sermon. It was going to be called, Just Do It. But I decided to change it because I kind of figured that in some evil shape, matter, form, or fashion, Facebook would find that offensive somehow and copyright infringed and we'd be banned and nobody would hear the sermon. So I said, Lord, give me wisdom. And he did. So I will explain Basin theology this morning. And I think you will uh, grasp and understand uh, exactly what that is and the importance uh, of that. 1 Corinthians 12, and we're going to start in verse 12. And I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we honor the reading of God's Word. And to be honest, we will be in the entire chapter of 12, but we're going to start in the latter half, um, and then we'll, we'll back up. Verse 12, for as the body one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and have all been made to drink into one spirit. For in fact the body is not one member but many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, am I not of the body? Is it therefore not the body? If the whole body were an eye, where would be the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where would be the smelling? But now God has set the members, each one of them, in the body just as he pleased. And if they were all one member, where would the body be? But now indeed there are many members, yet one body. And the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. No, much rather those members of the body which seem to be weaker or necessary, and those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, on these we bestow greater honor. And our, un and our unpresentable parts have greater modesty, but our presentable parts have no need. But God composed the body, having given greater honor to the part which lacks it, that there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all members suffer with it. Or if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now you are the body of Christ and members individually. And God has appointed these in the church, first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, and after that, miracles and gifts of healings, helps, administration, varieties of tongues. Are all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers, are all workers of miracles, do all have gifts of healing, do all speak with tongues, do all interpret, but earnestly desire the best gifts, and yet I show you a more excellent way. Father, thank you for your word. God, help us to see the application in real time today, and may we apply it. 
In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Now, if we were to back up a few verses. Verse 4 of chapter 12 says that there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. There are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. But the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each one for the profit of all. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge through the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, to another gifts of healings by the same Spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another discerning of spirits, to another different kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually as he wills. Paul would write similar sentiments in Ephesus. He would say in his letter to the Ephesians in chapter 4, this is going to sound familiar, there is one body, one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all, or in the south we say y'all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In verse 10 he says, He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. In verse 11 he made, excuse me, and he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting but speaking the truth in love may grow, grow up may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by whatever joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now, I could go on and on, and just the scripture would speak for itself, that when God looks at you and I as his people, we are the body of Christ. We're called the bride of Christ. And we are members of His church, church universally, the called out ones, and then members of this local body of believers, this assembly, this congregation that we call Liberty Baptist Church. Part of being a, a, a member of this local body of believers is a, is a personal public commitment to the church covenant, what we believe, so that we might do what? So that we might be in unity to go forward and take the gospel to the ends of the earth, right? So we're all part of this body. And there are many of us that are doing 
uh, things that people see and there are some of us that are doing things that people don't see very much at all. But Paul reiterates that to the Lord everything is needed. And you can just think for a minute because he gives an analogy that we can all relate to. We all, you know, we're all sitting here today with a, with a body, you know, and, and we all look a little bit different. We're all colored a little bit different shade of brown and, and uh, we have, uh, you know, different lights, different color of eyes, lengths of hair. And uh, some are wider than others, taller than others, but we all have a body. And there are things on the inside of this body that people cannot see but are very necessary to the functioning of the body. I don't know if I was in a spelling bee today that I could spell pancreas. I don't know. I might mess that up. But I know I need one. You know? I know I need, I know I need one. And so why it's not something that, you know, we may necessarily see as something that's obvious God has fashioned us in a way that we all need all of what we have and the church if it's to function properly we need everybody fulfilling the gift of God and his calling on your life we all need that now now, now this is aimed this has an aim okay because we are approaching a new a new church here in which uh, there's you know, we're trying to do some new things, different things or things that we have not been able to do in a while. And for those things to work, we got to have you. We got to have you. And so I, I pray, this is my prayer, that today we see from Scripture God's expectation for us and how we are to respond when we know and see that there is a need in the ministry or in the local body. How are we to um, respond to that in a way that is biblical? I say based in theology. And I say based in theology because of something that I read one time that a layman said to his pastor. He said, Pastor, when it, when it gets right down to it, this comes down to basin theology. And the pastor asked this uh, fellow brother in the faith, he said, what is basin theology? And the man replied, well, you remember when Pilate was there before Jesus and he had the opportunity to acquit Jesus? And what did Pilate call for? Well, Pilate called for a basin of water and Pilate would publicly wash his hands of that event as if to say, what happens beyond this point? I'm not going to be guilty of it, although we know he was. And he said, and you'll recall that the night before his death, Jesus also took and called for a basin, and he proceeded to wash the feet of the disciples. It all comes down to basin theology. There are needs this morning and throughout our service unto the Lord. There are needs. Needs arise. They come, they go. But needs are present. And what basin are we reaching for when it comes to that? When it comes to that? Uh, another saint put it this way. A lady by the name of Ruth Harms wrote this, I wonder 
You know, Lord, how I serve you with great emotional fervor in the limelight. You know how eagerly I speak for you at the women's club, and you know how I effervesce when I promote a fellowship group. Why, Lord, you, you know my genuine enthusiasm at a Bible study. But, Lord, how would I react, I wonder, if you pointed to a basin of water and you asked me to wash the calloused feet of a bent and wrinkled old woman day after day, month after month, in a room where nobody saw and nobody it's something to think about. And as we go through the text this morning, I want us to think about this basin theology. Paul said that the church as the body of Christ has many members with various functions, but it is still the body of Christ. Many parts. A hand, a head, a foot, an arm, an eye. And they all have function, and yet everyone is important. And to a great degree, we're all dependent on each other. I mean, regardless of how strong I am, it is, it is my eyes that help me to see what needs to be grasped. Uh, no matter what my desires are, it is the functioning and the working of my body together, the brain telling the nerves to, to stimulate whatever and muscles to contract and so forth for me to do the various things that need to be done. And we're called by Christ to perform specific tasks in His body, the kingdom of God. And ultimately, Paul tells us that there has to be this law of cooperation that is going to govern. Another way to see that is that there is this bond of, of peace that is to guide what it is that we are to do. So the church as the body of Christ has many members, various functions, but it is still the body of Christ. Paul also says that the church as the body of Christ has one head, and it is that head, the Lord Jesus Christ, which is the unifying factor. Now you're, you're not a part of the kingdom of God because you are talented. And you're not a, a, a member of the kingdom of God because you are a great orator or that you have the gift of charisma and persuasion and that you understand great, in great detail complicated things. All of us come to be a part of the kingdom of God and part of the body of Christ through the same process, through the shed blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, acknowledging that we are sinners and that we cannot make heaven on our own merit. We cannot be right with God on our own terms. We have to come broken, repentant before Him, confessing our sins and inviting Jesus by faith into our hearts, asking Him to save us. That's how we are part of the family of God. And so this head, which is this unifying factor, it breaks down to this, that this that the church, the membership of the church, is made up of local voluntary fellowship of people who are baptized into the faith. And we are bonded together in the Holy Spirit to find and to do the will of Christ who is the head. How is it that we find that will and that purpose? We find it through prayer, through the study of the scriptures, and through life. Doing what is the will of of God and what is known 
as Christian service. That's what we do. The church then, as Christ is its head, is to be controlled then by whom? By Him. We are to hear and we are to obey His word. No one is to argue or deny the truth. No one is to change the gospel to human philosophy or to meet the needs of those who despise the truth. Now, when we look at the scripture and it talks about the gifts and it mentions some of them, it doesn't mention all of them, but it mentions different ones. And there are many today that would claim apostleship. And I would just, I'm, I'm, I'm not of the mindset today that there are apostles because I believe one of the qualifications is that you would have had to seen the risen Lord physically. So a lot of people will then ask, well, preacher, why in Ephesians, why in Corinthians does Paul list that he called some to be apostles? And actually, the answer to that question is very, very simple. When Paul wrote these letters, it was in two or three centuries of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul and John and Peter and the other apostles were preaching and proclaiming the word of God at the time this letter would be circulated to the churches. So the reason that he mentions the idea of apostles is because the apostles were alive. He also mentions prophets or modern day, uh, I guess, preachers. Not that I foretell, but I foretell. Uh, teachers. He mentions these things. And he mentions various gifts, people that have a, a number of things, and how we are to implore them in the service for the Lord Jesus Christ. Understanding that he is the head. Now God has called and has given this church a pastor. From the New Testament model, churches are to have a pastor. God called them the shepherd of that local church. And what does a shepherd do? A shepherd is to, is to watch over the souls of the flock of God. A shepherd is to preach the truth, to tell the congregation the truth, to equip them to do the work of Almighty God. That's what my job is. And from a standpoint of governing the church, we are congregational in nature. I believe that to be a New Testament model. Because when the church has to do difficult things as the New Testament and as previous churches had to do in maintaining a level of discipline in the church, when, when someone was to cross the line, they were, they were to, to uh, uh, be talked to, to be... Um, pleaded with to come back to the faith and they refused to do that it was not the deacons it was not the pastor it was not an elder council that turned them away it was the congregation it was the congregation who would say you have you have broken faith with us and you no longer because of, of your testimony now in the community you no longer can be associated with this local fellowship congregational government with, with, with respect to decisions that are being made within this congregation. That's a biblical principle. The idea of bishops and archbishops and all this stuff is stuff that man came up with. That's not in the Word of God. 
We are congregational in nature. Because again, it is about the unity of the body. And if you are not unified and focused on what is important, then everybody's running off in their own direction and nobody's accomplishing anything. So the church, this body of Christ, one head. Christ, His will, His word determines what we do as a church and why we do what we do as a church. So what then is the point? What is the point? Why does God call us together, give us different likes, give us, gives us different personalities, calls us all together and says, I want you to do this. Despite your differences, I want you to be unified to do this. What is this? What is that major objective? Namely, to bring people to Christ. That's the point. Now within the church there are various ministries, right? Sunday school is in reach, is I guess my terminology. Because Sunday school, although there is an outreach component, but most of the people that are part of what we call Sunday school or Bible study are people that have made a profession of faith and that they are being discipled, or that is, at least is the goal. There are other aspects through ministries that are outreach, that are, that are ways to uh, minister to and to impact people that are outside the walls of this church or are not a part of the fellowship of this church. Uh, one particular ministry that will begin next week is our student ministry that we call Awana, now in its 11th year. And ultimately, the purpose of Awana is to reach boys and girls with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ and train them to serve Him, to love and serve Him. And by the way, that's not just the goal of Awana. That, that is the goal of any church. We want to reach people with the gospel of Christ and then we want to disciple them to love and serve Jesus Christ. That's the main point. That is what we're here to do. And Christ ministers and he reaches people with the gospel through folks like you and I with all of our quirks and all of our hang-ups and all of our hiccups he uses us to reach people with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ he uses personal work ministry is work he uses public preaching. He uses organization uh, and organized activities to accomplish this goal. And at the end of the day, Christ, being the head of the church, His desires are above my desires. His desire is above your desire. His desires are above my ideas, my, my petty ideas, or my big ideas even. His desires are what is important. Christ is to come before my personal feelings and my ideas. We are to allow Christ to dictate the direction from a practical standpoint of what we do as a body of believers. 
And we are never to find ourselves in a position where we are refusing to serve because there is someone else that I got to serve with. We work with folks out in the world that we may not have a lot in common with. But you still work with them. And, and you have to. You know, if you want to have a job. <laughs> we, are, we are forced sometimes through our everyday jobs, world that we come in contact with, to have to interact sometimes with difficult people and people that, that we don't necessarily have a lot in common with. And you may find this strange, but sometimes you and I have to even work in and under this great big umbrella of church with people that see things differently than you do. So that is never to be an excuse for us not to fulfill what needs to be done. So then there is an obvious question that falls out of this. What then is my personal function and responsibility to do in the local body for the Lord, for the cause of Christ? What is it? And how is it that I know that? Those are practical things. Now it has a lot to do with my heart. As a matter of fact, it has most to do with our heart. And when Paul leaves us in verse 31 of chapter 12, he says, And yet I show you a more excellent way. All of the gifts, all of the equipping, all of the things that you're good at, all of the, the gifts that you may have. Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way. How is it that we implore all this? How is it that we engage? And how is it that we uh, live and, and, and do life together in church so that we impact a world for Jesus? How is this to happen? Paul said, I want to show you a more excellent way. I throw all of the gifts, I throw all of the things that you have. How is it that you do that? Paul says, I want to show you a more excellent way. And then he moves forward through this letter because all of these chapters are just there to break it up so you and I can find something quick. But Paul did not, not write 16 different letters and call it 1 Corinthians. He just wrote one big letter. So the thought's continuing here. When he leaves chapter 12 with, I want to show you a more excellent way, he just, keep, he just keeps on writing. And, and if you follow Paul and you read behind Paul, he likes very long sentences. He uses semicolons a lot. I mean, he just kind of stops a little bit but just keeps on going. So what is the more excellent way? How is it that we don't get burnt up and burnt out and, and, we, and we have to buy all of these books that the, that, that the Christian authors have out here, uh, Seven Ways to Avoid Burnout, uh, Five Ways to a New You, uh, Four Exciting New Ways to Keep Doing What You're Tired of Doing, or whatever the, the title may be. I'm dying, uh, I need a shot in the arm, buy my book, or whatever. How is it that we do how, this more excellent way? What is... The basis for that, Paul spends the next 13 verses talking about one thing, love. 
He spends the next 13 verses, which may be one sentence. I don't know. I haven't looked at it real good. But he uses those 13 verses to say that the more excellent way to avoid being burnt up and burnt out and, uh, and giving up and giving in and whatever other words we, we have in our culture today to talk about why we can't do what we're called to do, he says, if you understand these 13 verses of love, that is the more excellent way for you to continue to do what God has called you to do. And he ends on verse 13 with this, and now, which is another sentence, and now abide faith, hope, love, and these three, but the greatest of these is love. How is it? What is the more excellent way when it comes to your Christian service and duty and responsibility? It is to understand what that agape love really is and to understand that at the end of the day, we are not abiding in my and your strengths and we're not abiding in your talent and we're not abiding in some conference that we went to and I'm not knocking that, but, but we're not abiding in new techniques. We're abiding in what? faith, hope, and love in that what we are doing has eternal impact and consequences. That's what we're relying on because it does. It does. What you and I are doing, how we are imploring our talent and our time and our treasure in response to God's call has an eternal impact. Not just temporary. Not just for a few years. It has eternal impact. We are playing here for high, high stakes. We're not talking about position. We're not talking about honorariums, certificates, trophies, plaques, ribbons, and awards. Those things have their place, but we are, we're playing for much higher stakes. We're playing for the victor's crown, man. We're playing for this reward that God Himself will give to the faithful. I try to be an encourager. And sometimes that form comes out in me might make you upset <laughs> a little bit. Sometimes we need that, that type of motivation, maybe. But at the end of the day, I want you to know that I am serious about what I believe in this book and that we are all going to stand as believers before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account. And it's not your pastor that loves you that's going to be saying, well done. It's Christ that will say, well done. And I know this is simple, and I'm a simple person, in case you hadn't figured that out. When I get up in, on Sunday morning and I'm looking over my sermon, I'm not thumbing through the thesaurus to try to find bigger words to use in the sermon. I'm just a simple person. And I've probably found more ways, you know, as uh, President Jackson said many, many years ago, when he was running for president and he was critiqued, and he couldn't say words the right way. And he said in an open forum debate, he said, I think it's unfoolish for any man want to be president that couldn't find at least two or three different ways to pronounce a word. I'm a simple person. 
never in the, had, had, you know, just looking back, never ever thought that I would be behind a pulpit preaching the Word of God for over 20 years. That was not on my radar or in my future plans, but it was in God's. Because, see, I, Steve, real, I still remember the Pueblo Indians report in the fourth grade that I said Pueblo. And everybody in Miss Wright's class knew that day, they didn't say it, but they probably thought, I got a new name for Steve. Stephen, they all called me Stephen. But I've been, that, he's stuttering Stephen because it was a disaster. It was a disaster. And from that point, listen, when I got to high school and I got whatever number of credits it was and I could just click on uh, cruise, here come the vocational stamp and I took as much construction and cabinet making I could because I wanted to be easy. My senior year, I had an English class and the rest of the day was just a joke. I went to current events, current events, current events. What is that? That's a class that you just go into and talk about what the Tifton Gazette misspelled. That's all it was. And then I went to third and fourth period construction. Fifth period was advanced cabinet making. Because I just did miss honors, man. It was an 88 point something average. Because them 95 plus construction class averages helped bring it up. But God had different plans. And God will wreck your future. Write it down, man. God will wreck your future. And He'll replace it with His. So how is it that I get on board with doing what God wants me to do? It's based in theology. Based in theology. Dr. David Jeremiah in his study Bible, he lists five different components of you discovering uh, your spiritual gift. If you have, you know, his study Bible, you'll, if you're in 1 Corinthians 12, you probably see it. It should be in the top right corner. And he talks about these five things. He talks about investigation, involvement, interaction, introspection, and interest. Investigation, how the gifts function, how they benefit the church. Involvement, he says, get involved in, in spiritual activities. Uh, do something. Why? He says, because uh, steering a moving car is easier than one that is stopped. Right? He talks about interaction. Interacting with others. That helps you understand where you are and where you're having an impact. He mentions introspection, looking into your heart, looking into your own desires. And as you're serving, is there joy in that? Not happiness, but is there joy in that? He talks about interest. 
Where is the need? And why can't I fulfill it? And Paul makes this point, and we read it there, that the gifts are for the profit of all. Not for me. Not for me. Um, I'm, I'm, I mean, you know, I'm not here to write books and, and uh, you know, have a, have a table out front and, uh, you know, Allison's going to sit out there and collect some money so you can buy my thoughts. That's not why I'm here. I'm not saying it's wrong to write a book. I'm just saying that that's not, that's not why I'm here. My, my purpose here is not about me benefiting from my gift. I'm here so that the church at large benefits from that gift. And when the day comes that the church does not benefit and is not edified by what I'm doing, then it's time for me to move on. And at some point, God makes that known. So again, why can't the need be met? Because it boils down to basin theology. Look, some things are not on the nominating committee's sheet. But that's not to say that if you are a person that is hospitable that you cannot have a huge impact on people for the glory of God. And we don't ever have to hear about it. But I want to tell you there's a lot of people that are ministered to and are one to the Lord through a mighty fine meal. I'm telling you. A card written to someone going through a trial in their life has a tremendous impact we won't know about it but I don't have to know about it nobody else has to know about it nobody God knows about it whatever it is that God's called you to do however you're equipped then do it. Grab the right basin. Don't wash your hands from, I, I got 10,000 things that I'm more interested in than this. But take the basin of service and get very vulnerable before the Lord and sincere and do the work of God. Why? Listen very carefully. I'm going to just close with this, but listen very carefully. The people who have had the most impact for good or for God on this earth have been most concerned with the new earth that's coming. Did you hear, did you hear what I just said? To say it another way, people that have an eternal 
purpose, and perspective have the most impact on this temporary life. Hands down, the people that have had the greatest impact on Christianity in this world, in this life, cared most about the one that they were going to live forever. And, and if we don't always keep that perspective, then we get off course. And when we get off course, we waste time. And time's running out. Time's running out. So I'm asking you this morning, wherever you are, however you're equipped, and whatever it is that you may be asked to do or you may see a need this new year, I'm asking you this very simple question. Which basin? Which basin will you choose? Which basin will you choose? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you, Father, that we have been called to such a greater, more empowering and impactful work than this world could ever offer. God, help us to humble ourselves this morning before the mighty hand of God that, Lord, that you might be exalted, that you might draw people to that old rugged cross that they may be saved. Take my excuses away. Help me to say, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand on our feet, church.